Isn't it funny how everybody sees things differently? Everybody sees things differently. Everybody has their own interpretation of any given scenario. You know, one guy can look outside and say, oh man, it looks like rain today. Oh man, it stinks. I can't believe it's going to rain out. Oh, look at those clouds coming in. That's, that's not good or whatever. And then his neighbor could look up and be like, oh man, there's rain. This is great. We need the rain. Everybody looks at things differently. Everybody has different viewpoints. Uh, I was driving, and I mentioned to my family, I was driving with my three of my boys last week. Seth was in school, um, in summer school. And me and Charlie and Brady and Bub went to visit uh, Marissa in Buzzards Bay at her job to bring in her watch and a coffee. So we went to, I went to get him some Burger King down in Buzzards Bay, and there's this, I don't know if it's still functioning, but this old water park called Water Whiz. And it's got all these big, colorful water slides. And, and uh, we're driving by and say, hey, boys, look at, the, uh, look at the big water slides. And they're in the back of the van, and Charlie says, cool. Donald immediately after says, dangerous. Just flat out, just like period at the end, dangerous, you know. And then Brady, Brady says, Wendy's and saw Wendy's on the other side of the road and I literally sat there like that is so I don't know what that was so that was so funny like all these boys had completely different reactions three of my children uh, my boys with different hearts with different different minds different thought process different views we're talking today our next topic about worshiping by faith worshiping by faith Today I'm going to be really focusing about our, our corporate worship here at the church, the, the worship that we have together, the, the time we just have, the 10 minutes that we have of singing together, um, the time we set aside as a group of believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, followers of Christ, our time for our church, for Coastline, to lift our voices of praise uh, to who we say is the king of our life. I'm going to be talking specifically, mostly about that time, about that kind of worship for our church. I think that all of us, including myself, we often forget how important those 10 minutes are, whether it's 8, 10, 12 minutes of worship. It's very easy to forget how important those 10 minutes of worship are. It's not, and I have to fight this battle in my own heart sometimes, it's not just 10 minutes to do something different besides preaching or prayer time. It's not just something that we do because we've always done it. Well, we have to have singing time in church because it's church. It's, it's not supposed to be a talent show. It's not supposed to be entertaining, entertainment. It's not supposed to be done nonchalantly or, or carelessly. Um, we don't just do it because we feel like we have to, you know, because it's church. Each time I step up here to lead, and Lord willing, one day we'll have a, we've been praying that God would bring us a worship leader of some kind, uh, someone to take care, to, to care of the worship part. But each time for now, I, I step up here to lead, and each time you stand up in your spot and the words come up on the screen, hopefully all the words come up on the screen, and the words come up on the screen, the music begins. Listen, that time is a beautiful, tremendous opportunity to worship our Savior. Personally, yes, but as a church family. It's, it's not just Donald worshiping. It's not just me up here. And, and although that's part of it, yes, it's my personal worship as well, but it's, it's coastline worshiping. It's Coastline Baptist Church worshiping the King of Kings, the one who brought us here. It's our time to worship Him. We are supposed to come in gratefulness, in reverence, uh, in praise, in humility, completely focused on the person 
that we're worshiping, the person of our worship. It's very easy to kind of get out of that mindset and just kind of go along with it. It's just, it's, it's natural for us, especially if we've grown up in church. You ever seen a, a new believer that just came to Christ and when worship time starts, man, they're just, they're just in it, man. They're just worshiping. But then you got someone maybe that's been saved for 20, 30, 40, 50 years and it just, it becomes so habitual almost. And not on purpose, not even with a bad spirit, but it becomes so habitual. And it's, it's not done in reverence or in humility or in gratefulness. It just is done because that's what you do and it's just almost like a robot. We have different viewpoints, all of us. We all have different viewpoints, different backgrounds, different stories. But the truth is, if you are saved, if you are a believer, we are united in Christ. All of us. All of us. No matter our different viewpoints, backgrounds, stories, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we can, we should, we must worship together. It's such an important time. I wanted to start by just reading through Psalm 100, which is just a beautiful uh, scripture about worshiping. It says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. There's no reading between the lines here. There's no uh, trying to figure out what it's talking about. It's literally talking about worshiping him through song. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. Isn't that amazing that even in this psalm of worship, they acknowledge who God is and who they are. Hey, it's God who's done this. It's not us. It is he that made us, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. As a church, as individuals gathering for church worship, I want to share today a few thoughts about what real but I believe real, authentic worship requires. I know we've talked about worship in the past here uh, at Colson of the last, you know, eight, nine months we've been here. But each time we stand together to worship the Lord, real, authentic, Christ-exalting worship must occur. It must happen. Listen, I'm not, I'm not fully responsible for your worship. I, I, I believe that part of it is I'll do my part as the one leading to follow the Spirit's leading and, and, and the songs that we pick. And, and, and I'm not just going to get up here and say, well, what are we singing today? I guess we'll just... No, I want to make sure it's prepared and do, do my best and creating really a, a worshipful environment where it, it really becomes easy to worship. It's not like, you know, I'm, I'm not caring about it. The songs we sing, the effort put forth, my own personal attitude. If I get up here with a bad attitude, uh, that's not helping the worship spirit at all especially if I'm leading it. But at the root of it all, true worship begins in your own heart, begins in your heart personally. Anybody can sing a song. Anybody can play an instrument, lift a hand, or even lead worship with a heart set on themselves. I can say that because I know that I've done that. I've done that. I want us as a church and as individuals to worship from our hearts, from, from, from our souls. I want it to be real. It has to be real. I want to say this, in a church where there is a healthy soul filled with life and praise and adoration of who God is, there will be a healthy sound that comes from the very core of who we are and what we know and declare about God. I want to read that again. I want you to think about it. Think about this. In a church where there is a healthy soul, I'm talking about our core, who we are, what we believe, what we practice, what we do, what's preached what's talked about, what's learned. In a church where there's a healthy soul 
filled with life and praise and adoration of who God is deep in our hearts as a church individually believing that God is who he said he is trusting him resting in the grace of Christ when there's a healthy soul of the church there will be a healthy sound that comes from the very core of who we are and what we know and declare about God that's what I want for our church that's what I want for our church so what does real worship require I believe first, real worship needs brutal honesty. Brutal honesty. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. The word corporate, by the way, when I talk about the word corporate, um, in this sense, it just means shared by all members of the group. It's all of us together. So when I say corporate worship, so I'm talking about just our worship as a church. Corporate worship is designed to humble you. Think about this. To humble you by pointing out the depth of your need and excites you by pointing to the glory of God's provision. Corporate worship reminds us of who we really are, if we allow it to, but it reminds us also of who God is. Who you say I am, we sang it today, who you say I am, I'm chosen, not forsaken, I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me, I am who you say I am. Listen, we, we talked about, we sang that second song, I, I Got Saved, and it just talks about uh, the depth of our need and our sin, but it's God, it's Christ, I got saved. Listen, we all, do, we all do it in our own way. Rarely does a day go by without us doing it again. Sometimes we even do it in the middle of worship services. It's a very dangerous thing to do. It doesn't lead anywhere good. We don't like when other people do it, but we often fail to recognize how much we do it ourselves. Here it is, this is what I'm talking about. We all work to convince ourselves that we are better off than we are. That's what I'm talking about. We all work to convince ourselves that we are better off than we are. We all want to believe that we are not that sinful after all. We compare ourselves to those who seem more sinful than us. We rewrite our history to make ourselves look better than we actually are and we really are. We evaluate ourselves by looking into mirrors instead of looking into the actual true mirror of the Word of God the accurate picture of who we are. We list our good deeds to ourselves. I've done that. Not that bad. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to do this. We argue to ourselves and to others that, we, that what looked like sin was not sin after all. We are always trying to convince ourselves in our flesh, if we're not careful, that we are better than we are. And that, all those things I just mentioned, it's just a function of the delusional self-righteousness of sin. Sin, at, at the root of sin often is self-righteousness. It comes right along with it. Self-righteousness, and it's a delusion. We think we're better than we are. All those things that we do, rewriting our history and, and, and trying to justify things and excuse things away, it's just us working to convince ourselves that we really don't need the amazing grace of a faithful, loving Savior. We wouldn't say it that way. And when we hear, I, I know when I was thinking, I'm like, man, I, I hope I don't do that. But you're like, man, I do do that. When I try to make myself look better, I'm really just saying, I don't really need God's grace because I can handle this. If we're being brutally honest, we all tend to back away from the, the radical message that we all say we believe about needing Christ. Oh, His grace is enough for me. But we, we, we back away from that message in our lives. It's, it's a shocking denial of our sin. And it's a minimization of the grace that is found in Christ. 
Listen, as a sinner, that's our only hope, the grace of Christ. Why would we work so hard to convince ourselves that we're better when the grace of Christ uh, uh, is enough for us to, to go on? We don't have to do that. God knew that that would be our tendency, that that's what we would run to, self-righteousness and, and trying to convince ourselves. He is fully aware of all that. He knows that we live that way. He knows that self-righteousness still lives inside all of us. God knew that we would convince ourselves that we are okay when we're not okay. So he designed a means for us to be confronted again and again with the depth of our need. And that's our corporate worship. He, he, he made a way for us. In his word, he ordained that we gather again and again and, and recognize the beautiful glory of the grace of Jesus Christ. The work of the Lamb, the Savior, the Redeemer, Christ. He made a way. We gather again and again in services of corporate worship to be confronted with our true selves, with our true identity. As both sinners, yes, but as children of grace. We, we, we are united in Christ and in his grace. And that is what corporate worship, that's what part of it is about. We remind ourselves who we are, but we can rejoice and honor and praise the name of Christ because he is who we need. He is all we need. When you understand the free gift of God's provision of grace, you aren't afraid to admit the depth of your sin. You, aren't, you don't back away from that. It's only when you admit the disaster that sin brings to our lives that you can be excited about the grace that is found in Christ. Listen, I spent so many years of my Christian life not really thinking about that kind of stuff. Doing my thing, doing what I thought I needed to do. I, I, didn't, I didn't really even see it. But I, what I hadn't been doing is recognizing the depth of my need, of my sin, of my faults. So because of that, I didn't really think much about grace. I just didn't. I'm like, oh, I have, you know, for my grace, he's saved. Amen, I'm saved, I'm, I'm going to heaven. But I didn't think much about my life here on earth. I just tried really, really hard to do what I was supposed to do. Never recognizing that if I just admit who I really am and recognize what sin has done, not just to me personally, but to this fallen world, then I can rejoice in the grace that is found in Jesus Christ for daily living. Between the, the already and the not yet, God is still working. Grace is still enough. Corporate worship really does confront us with the fact that we are worse off than we thought. If we, if we let it, and that God's grace is more amazing than we could have ever imagined. That's when we sing these songs, when we sing, I got saved, and who you say I am, and oh, come to the altar, and Jesus paid it all, and it is well, and all these songs. May we be reminded of who we are. May we be brutally honest about ourselves. So we can rejoice in the grace that is found in Christ. We will continue to need that reminder until our sin is no more. And that will not be until we are with him and like him forever. Corporate worship is not a thankless duty for the religiously committed. It's not just something that we have to do. And, but that's what it becomes for us, if we're being honest. That's what it becomes for us. We pick up the hymn book, we look at the screen, whatever it may be, and we're just, we just kind of go through it. And, and it's the same with all parts of the service oftentimes. It's then the offering comes, and, the, and we just kind of do what we think we're supposed to do because I'm saved, I'm a Christian, so I have to sing, and, and there's no heart in it. If in each moment that we step, we, we stand up and see the words and the music begins, and we said, you know what, 
man, I need, I need grace. I need Christ. I'm a mess, but he's enough. Man, how do you think that will affect your worship, your heart? You think of David in Psalm 51. I'll read these. The, the whole beginning of, of Psalm 51, you know, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God. My, my, I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. And he goes on and on. He's like, I was, I, in sin did my mother conceive me. And this is right after he wrote that psalm, right after he got caught uh, with Nathan the prophet came and with Bathsheba and he was broken over his sin. He said, I'm a mess. I'm a sinner. I failed. I can't believe what I've done. But look what he says at the end of Psalm 51. He says, create me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Restore me the joy of my salvation. But in verse 13, this is what he says. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation. And my tongue, look at my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. David recognized who he was at the beginning of that psalm. He said, I'm a sinner. I messed up big time. I'm a mess. In sin did my mother conceive me. I acknowledge my transgressions. He said, man, he's brutally honest about who he really was, but that led him to sing aloud the praises of his righteousness. Real worship, real worship requires brutal honesty. We don't want to live that way. We don't want to get to that point. It's much more comfortable and easy to feel better about ourselves. But you know what that does? Feeling, better, feeling good about yourself so often and that becoming your habit and that becoming your way of life, we ignore the grace of God and we walk through this fallen world as broken people thinking that we, we can make it on our own and we just can't and we won't. And sooner or later, that's going to catch up with all of us. It'll catch up with us. Because, listen, God's not just going to give up on us and let us do that. He will continually try to, to, to show us our need and remind us that we need Him for every moment, for every struggle, for every trial. Not just the big things, but the little things, the trivial things, the things that we just try to ignore and push away and deal with and justify. No, we need to be brutally honest. If we want to really worship, we've got to be brutally honest. What else does it take? I believe real worship also requires and needs true gratefulness. True gratefulness. Corporate worship is designed to move the, the, the thoughts, the meditation of your heart from self-centered complaint to God-glorifying praise. Let me read that again. Corporate worship is designed to move the meditation of your heart from self-centered complaint to God-glorifying praise. Every day of your life, you will find reasons to complain. And every day of your life, you will have reasons to be thankful. That's just those two themes, complaint and gratitude. Uh, they, they, they pull at the heart of each one of us, all of us, no matter who we are, no matter our backgrounds or stories. That is, that is the two themes of our complaint and gratitude. And you know what? Both of those themes form fundamentally different ways of viewing the world. They do, complaint and gratitude, because they are rooted in fundamentally different ways of how we view ourselves. Did you hear that? Let me read that again. I don't want you to miss that. Complaint and gratitude pull at the heart of each one of us. And they form different ways of viewing the world because they're rooted in different views of, of, of ourselves, how we view ourselves. So what is your default language? Do you find it easier to complain than to give thanks? I feel like if we're honest, that's most of us. 
very easy to find reasons to complain, is grumbling, uh, this is the noise of your existence, everything, whether it's your job, your car, your family, your in-laws, whatever, you can always find reasons to complain. Are you easily irritated, quickly impatient with your coworkers, with your kids, with your spouse? Do, do little things, do just the mundane things get under your skin? With the, with the people who live closest to you and the people who are the biggest parts of your life, would they characterize, characterize you as a thankful person or a complaining person? Nobody wants to ask that question. Go to the close people in life and say, do you think I'm more of a complainer or a thank person? And be really honest. And, and we probably wouldn't want to hear the answer. I don't want to ask that question to Marissa. I think I already know the answer. Or do you look at your world and find yourself blown away at the many reasons you have every day to give thanks? Do you see yourself as one who has been showered with blessings, showered with grace? Are you humbled by the variety of things in your life that you regularly enjoy, but that you could never argue that you deserve? That's good. The little things that we love, we enjoy, but if we really thought about it, we don't deserve it. How often do you whisper thanks to God or communicate thanks to even those around you. Listen, if you spend all your time thanking God, and, and then but you never thank anybody else in your life, God puts people in your life to be a blessing to you, whether it's parents, friends, family, spouse. So you may think you're real, doing really great because you, every day you say, thank you, Lord, for this day, and thank you for this. But if you're not spending time thanking your spouse or thanking even your kids or your parents or your boss, whatever it may be, listen... How often do you communicate thanks to those around you? How often do you whisper thanks to God, even throughout the day? The lifestyle of complaint and the lifestyle of gratitude, like I said, are both rooted in the way that you view yourself. Really, complaint really is an identity issue. Complaint is really an identity issue. If you have placed yourself, listen, if you have placed yourself at the center of your world, Okay, if you've placed yourself at the center of your world, if you have reduced uh, your concerns and your field of concern down to the small confines of your wants and your needs and your desires and your dreams and your feelings, if it's really all about you in your heart, then you will live with this entitled, I deserve fill in the blank attitude. And because you do, we will have a constant reason to complain. If that's how we live our life, if that's how I live my life, and I have lived my life that way about me, and I would never, I would never have said it, I would never have admitted it, but God, in His grace, showing me that that's how I was living, sent my life, I am the center of my world, that's it. It's about me. If that's how I live, if that's how you live, you will always find reasons to complain. Self-centeredness is the murderer of true worship. That's it. Self-centeredness is the murderer of true worship. You will constantly be focused on what you want. Because of that, you will have an inflated sense of what you need, what you think you need and really don't need, but you'll have this inflated sense of what you need and you'll be all too conscious of how you feel so you'll just grumble your way through life. It's all about what you want. It's all about what I want. So then I, if, because I want it so badly, I, I have to need that. And then I, I'm not getting it, so I'm feeling really bad about it. I'm annoyed, and I'll grumble my way through life. Why is that? You will grumble because the reality is this, that you are not at the center. I am not at the center. That's the reality. Life is not about me. Life 
is not about you. Hey, buddy. Life is not about you. The universe doesn't operate to satisfy your desires. It's not about me, and it's not about you. True worship requires uh, uh, gratefulness. Real worship requires true gratefulness. Listen, living that way, self-centered, living that way uh, uh, with me at the center, it's a very dark and discouraging way to live. It just is. But if we, if you humbly admit that as a sinner, you deserve nothing but God's wrath, because that's, that's it. We don't deserve anything but God's wrath. But in grace, in, in, in outrageous grace, God has turned his face of mercy and kindness towards you and towards me. That's it. We deserve wrath. But in grace, he turned his face of kindness and mercy towards us. Every good thing, if you realize and believe that every good thing in your life is an undeserved blessing, you will find reasons to be grateful everywhere you look. Think about that. Every, if you believe and realize, and this is, that's, listen, that's something that you have to ask God for grace to do because it's not natural for us to do that. But every good thing in your life is an undeserved blessing. Then you will find reasons to be grateful everywhere you look. You could be stuck in traffic and find a reason to be thankful if you think that every good thing in your life is an undeserved blessing. Right? It's a tough one. And, and I'll tell you how that goes next time I get stuck in traffic. I'm going to work at it. I'm going to say, man, what can I look at? Well, I guess my car's still running. Uh, I, I was driving Marissa's little whip, the little whip out here, and um, the AC's not working in that. So next time I drive that and get stuck in traffic, I'm going to really search for a reason to be thankful. Maybe I'll just say, well, I guess I'm alive, right? So that, that's it. Feelings of need and thankfulness rather than entitlement and disappointment will fill your heart if you view life that way. Worshiping by faith happens when we focus on who we are worshiping. It's about Him. It's about His grace. If we look at everything in life as an undeserved, every good thing as an undeserved blessing, then we will find reasons to be, to be grateful. And that's where the importance of corporate worship helps. Because that's what we're talking about today. The regular gathering of God's people, when we meet every Sunday, 10 a.m., and we, get, we stand up to sing and worship. That time serves to shift your meditation from complaint to gratitude. How can you sing? How can you sing uh, amazing love? How can it be that you, my king, have died for me and not be grateful for that? I guess we could do that if we're not thinking about it, which I've been there. But that's what corporate worship is here for, to shift our hearts, to shift our minds and our meditations from complaint to gratefulness. But it reminds us, of who we really are. And it, and, it, and it confronts us with the beautiful and faithful mercy and grace that God has toward us. That's what corporate worship is supposed to do when we sing those songs. Amazing love, how can it be that you die for me? Listen, I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted because you were condemned. Listen, it shows our sin, our need, but it shows His grace. That is what corporate worship is supposed to do. The gospel of Jesus Christ puts us in our place. Why did He die? Because we're hopeless. That's why. That's what the gospel does. It puts us in our place, but it also should put praise in our mouth. It puts us in our place, but it puts praise in our mouth. And that's a good thing. 
We, we, we read it earlier, Psalm 104, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Real worship requires true gratefulness. And lastly this, real worship, requi real worship requires and needs clear vision. It, it requires and needs clear vision. We talked about brutal honesty. We talked about true, thankful, uh, uh, true thankfulness. And lastly, real worship needs clear vision. Corporate worship is designed to once again clear up our confusion about what's truly important in life. It's a tough one. I don't, this is not an easy one to preach or to hear. But here's what we all need to remember and understand. This side of eternity, while we live here on this fall, in this fallen world, it is very hard for us to keep what God says is important as important in our hearts. Because of this fallen world, because we are broken people, we've been saved by grace, thank God, but because the presence of sin still abounds in this fallen world, it becomes very challenging oftentimes to keep what God says is important as important in our hearts. Our vision gets clouded. We, we lose sight of, of what's truly important often in our lives. For all of us, things rise to levels of importance far beyond their true importance. And those things in our lives that we view as more important than they actually are, they, they begin to uh, command our thoughts and our motives and our desires and our choices and, and, and the allegiance of our hearts. Those things that are more important to us than they should be. Listen, we are... We become value-oriented, goal-oriented, purpose-oriented. That's how we were built. That's how we're created. Importance-oriented beings. That's who we are. That's how we were created. We're always living in the quest for something. Uh, we, we're always in pursuit of, of some vision or some desire or some dream. And because that's how we are, because that's how we are built, listen, every day we name things as important in our lives. And when we do, we work to have those things in our lives. That is why it is so important to recognize what is truly important. Listen, you could argue that everything we do and say is our attempt to, to get what is important to us from our situations, from our locations, from our relationships. That's what we do, the, the, the choices we make because we want to get what's important to us. This is a huge spiritual battle that is fought on the battleground of your heart every day of what's really important. Whatever important thing rules your heart also shapes your words and behavior. Think about that. Whatever important thing rules your heart also shapes your words and behavior. The fact of the matter is that we all lose sight of what is truly important. Winning an argument becomes too important for us. Become very, winning an argument becomes too important for us. A beautiful house rises in importance uh, beyond its true worth. Getting that next promotion becomes too important. Having a, a comfortable and predictable life becomes too important to us. Too much value. Being liked by other people becomes more important to us than the favor of God. Physical beauty and, and pleasure uh, uh, takes on too much value in our hearts. Whether it's a, a, a nice car or a, a great steak or nice clothes or the, even the last bowl of cereal from the box, those things become so much more important beyond their true significance. Even those little things. We have to be reminded again 
and again and again of what God has declared are the most important things in life. So in grace, God, again, designed a time for us, ordained a time for us in his word that we can gather together and remember the things that are worth living for. That is part of our corporate worship, reminding us of the things that are worth living for. Corporate worship reminds us of his power, reminds us when we sing about behold our God seated on his throne, come let us adore him. It reminds us of his power. Corporate worship, singing the songs of God together, worshiping and reminds us of his glory, reminds us of his grace. Yes, it reminds us of the depth of our spiritual needs, but it reminds us of the eternity that is to come when we sing about heaven. Remind us of our salvation, uh, 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 what he's done for us, what he's doing for us, what he's going to do for us. That is what it's for. That is what corporate worship can do if we let it. And as it reminds us of those things, it clears up that confusion of what's important. It clears up our vision of what is truly important as we worship together, reminded of his glory, reminded of his grace, reminded of his power, of what he's done for us. It rescues us rescues us from our wandering and, and often fickle hearts of thinking other things are important. It points us to the one who, who deserves, who commands our allegiance. In grace, in grace, God gives us every important thing that we could ever need. I want to value what he values. And corporate worship reminds us of those things. Real worship requires clear vision. So those three things today, when we, when we stand to worship, even next week and in the weeks to come, wherever you're at, be honest about who you are. Don't back away from that. Uh, uh, re but remember who he is. Be grateful. Be grateful for who he is. Real worship requires true gratefulness. Don't live a life of complaint. Don't let that be your default language. But no, realize and recognize that every good thing in your life is an undeserved blessing. And when you do that, you will live in true gratefulness. And when you stand to sing the songs of God each Sunday morning, listen, you, it'll be from a heart of gratefulness, entering into his gates with thanksgiving. And it requires clear vision. It reminds us, when you stand to sing, remember what's truly important. And let the songs that we sing remind you of what's important in your life. Here's our by faith challenge for this week. We've done this each week with these messages the first thing is this. This week, prepare your heart for next week's worship. Do that this week. Say, Lord, help my heart to be set on you. Think about these three points, brutal honesty and clear vision and true gratefulness. And say, Lord, when I stand to sing next week, help me not be focused about how good I sound or this and that or how warm it is in the room or if this person's listening or this and that. But help me to be focused on who you are and what you've done. And ask God to prepare your heart for next week's worship. It's such an important part. We're getting ready to get into a building soon, and I believe God's going to have us grow, um, and I'm excited about that. But imagine if our core, us, our core, had such a healthy soul of worship that when we started, it wasn't people that would come and say, man, this church really, really worships God. Man, they really love God. Man, this is real to them. I can see it in their faces. I can see it in how they sing. I can see it in how they worship. Man, this is real to them. May it be real to us. Ask God to prepare your heart. Secondly, this, remember that you won't worship corporately on Sundays with your brothers and sisters in Christ if you don't worship during the week with your life and in your heart. I'm not just talking about 
being in your car and worshiping. Now listen, I worship my car all the time, man. Sometimes I'm like, I gotta pull over, I'm getting all choked up, man, this is awesome. I'm just, I'm fired up. I'll be cleaning the counters and listening to music on the Alexa and I'll be like, woo, hallelujah, I'm just loving it. Listen, I'm talking, yes, that. Worship throughout the week, personally, with your family, but even in your life and the choices that you make. Live a life of worship. We may talk about that more next week, but remember that if you're not living a life of worship in the week, what makes you think that Sunday morning at 10 a.m. it's just going to turn on for you? You know, something, oh, now I can worship now. And then when 11.15 hits and we, you're gone, you don't worship till next Sunday. That's not how God wants us to live. And lastly this, ask God to reveal to you what parts of your life have become more important than what's truly important. It's a tough prayer, but it's an important prayer. Possibly a life-changing prayer. Ask God to reveal to you what parts of your life have become more important than what's truly important. So that this week, think about these things and, 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 and ask God to help you and ask Him to prepare your heart for next week and, and uh, let these things, soak them up in your mind and live, live them out and ask God. God will give grace to do it. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed and we're going to pray and, and uh, have a time of prayer and be dismissed.